0: I wanted to read you a quote from uh, one of the one of the early uh, s- the sages of the early Yeshua movement uh, they're generally called the church fathers a man named Arrhenius I'm, I'm reading his uh, he has a five-part series called Against Heresies he wrote in the mid to late 100s and uh, he was he was um he really went on the war path against Gnosticism the, the Gnosticism was just taking over the early Yeshua movement and uh, he, he was a great warrior um, in that regard. But at the beginning, Irenaeus is, is his name, at the beginning of his first book, he said something and I thought, man, that really resonates with me. That's how I feel with my preaching in general. Um, he, he addresses whoever it is he's writing to, and he says, uh, You will not expect from me, who am resident among the Celts, and am accustomed for the most part to use a barbarous dialect, any display of rhetoric which I've never learned, Or any excellence of composition which I've never practiced or any beauty and persuasiveness of style to which I make no pretensions so that's me for you right there Um, I talk like a Saskatchewan boy and I haven't gone to seminary so my preaching is pretty unpolished he goes on to say but you will accept in a kindly spirit what I in a like spirit write to you simply truthfully and in my own homely way whilst you yourself as being more capable than I am, will expand those ideas of which I send you, as it were, only the seminal principles, and in the comprehensiveness of your understanding, will develop to their full extent the points on which I briefly touch, so as to set with power before your companions those things which I've uttered in weakness. And that's, that's how I feel in terms of how my, my teaching style in the last two years. I mean, we covered the Torah twice over. And we covered the apostolic scriptures in their entirety. And I I hit a lot of things, but I I more gave what you would call seminal principles. That was the term Irenaeus used. So I would give a little idea. And, you know, basically sometimes I would give 30 or 40 of those in one teaching. And really, like, a, a teacher could take each one of those things and develop it into a talk. It's like you got 10 or 20 years worth of sermons in two years, essentially. So now, you know, I'm more kind of focusing on one point and developing that a little bit more. But uh, I, I hope that. I really hope that these messages that we've made available over the Internet and through other media will, um, will be useful to other people in the broader movement and that they'll really latch on to a lot of the concepts that we've been learning and communicating and take those and run with them and, and develop them further. So we're going to develop one of those ideas this morning. Also, there's there's a remarkable connection between the Torah portion and our reading from the Apostles. And it's so cool. You remember last week in the portion it says Abraham gave to Isaac everything that he had. And Yeshua said in Matthew 11, the Father has given me everything. It's like such a cool connection. And this week we have another one of those. In in the Parsha, we read in Genesis 26, 12, Now Yitzhak sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. So here we have Isaac putting in the crop, and he pulls off, for every bushel that he put in, he pulls off a hundred bushels. That's pretty impressive. And then in Matthew chapter 13, we have Yeshua talking about people, being comparable to a farmer's field and he 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 puts the seed in and then he comes back for the harvest and some people are really receptive to the word and they go on to be productive and he says and they yield you know 30 times 60 times or a hundred times it's really neat there's this hundredfold co- connection in both of these readings so we're gonna look at this morning at the connection between like fruitfulness as pictured in these two passages and making disciples I think you'll see a very strong connection as we, as we go on with this. I'll give you a little overview of the Messianic uh, movement at large and also the body of Messiah's status here in our city when it comes to this topic of making disciples. Um, I'm curious. I, I, I want to I take a little poll here. If, from, from the time that you've been immersed in water, as a profession of your faith in Yeshua, how many years has it been? How many of you have been a believer for five years or under? Okay, ten years are under. Fifteen years are under. Twenty years are under. Twenty-five years are under. Thirty years. Anyone? Or do we have any thirty-year-old believers here? Thirty-five? Forty? Whoa, yeah. <laughs> any any um any past that? Forty-two. Forty-two. That's excellent. Wow. Well, thank you, Father. I I really appreciate like. The spiritual maturity in our community—I really appreciate, like, how many of us in this room have been believers for decades. And, and it's, oh, yay! Congratulations! And, and you anyway, know that's like that is something to celebrate. Wow, that's wonderful! Congratulations! But. At the same time, like, you know, if, and if we were to take a poll of many messianic communities, you, have, you generally have congregations of people that have been believers for decades, people who are very strong spiritually, who have deep roots. But often we don't see a lot of baby believers. You know, if we were to look at the median age of a believer in our congregation in terms of how many years they've believed, it would be what? I wonder what it would be if we averaged it out here. Maybe two decades, maybe, uh, maybe even three, I don't know, something like that. On the one hand, I praise the Father for that. But on the other hand, when I look at our movement and I look at that, I say, oh no, we don't have, we don't have a lot of spiritual babies around here. You know, I, I would like to chop that median age down by 80 or 90% to something like five years. You know, if you were to take a poll, how many people you have around who have been believers for very long, most of them would be like, no, I just came to faith in the last year or two. That's my dream. Um, for. For the movement. And yes, he is working on their hearts. That's right. And uh, I often when, you know, as I visited Messianic congregations here, there, and everywhere, I don't see a lot of Messianic congregations really geared for new disciples either. So frankly, I don't know if it's a surprise to me that with a lot of Messianic congregations, we have, you know, a, a, a pretty high median age A lot of um, congregations, you know, in terms of the teaching that's offered, or the midrash level, it's just totally not for newbies. You know, it's often it's something that we don't even think about. And um, I I think I'd have to say, you know, when I look at the broader movement, that would be my general evaluation. We're not geared for newbies. Um, This this is a big question not just like in the Hebrew roots movement but also in the Messianic Jewish movement Uh, for instance I was at the Union of Messianic Jewish congregations annual conference in Dallas this year and I I really enjoyed just watching and listening and one of the questions that were raised several times that the 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 members of that organization are wrestling with is where are the new believers you know when they when they were had really had their heyday when they got started let's say in the seventies there was a great influx of Jewish people coming to faith in Yeshua and now, three or four decades later, this movement is at almost a crisis point where they're saying, it's not like it used to be. We don't have so many people coming to faith in Yeshua and joining our congregations. Why is this? Um, when I look at, let's say, the city of Prince Albert and the broader body of Messiah here, um, every, every couple weeks, I like to go down the town on Saturday night. I go to the casino. I don't gamble, but I just walk around through the casino and I people-watch with Yeshua. And I say, Yeshua, how do you see that person and that person? Father, what's your dream for these people? I see so many people that have no purpose in life, that are just wasting their time, wasting their cash. Uh, I don't know, if you've never been to a casino Saturday night, I would recommend going just to look and to see who's there and to see what's going on. It's, um, I'll often go, go around and just people watch on the streets. I'll pop into the bars and see who's in the bar, what, what's going on there. And then, because we gather on Saturday, we're free Sunday. So Genevieve and I like to visit different churches in our city on Sunday morning and get a feel for the broader body Messiah. And I've noticed something. The people that you will see out on the city Saturday night, you will not see in churches Sunday morning. There is like no overlap between these two worlds. And I mean, that's to be expected, I suppose. But you know, it kind of saddens me too. Like I'll go out on Saturday night and I'll see all of these young people And they're so disoriented, and they have no mission in life, and they don't know the Creator for the most part. And then I go to church on Sunday morning, and I see all these people who have been believers for decades. And I think, there's just, there's something wrong here. There's something really wrong. It's like the Sunday morning crowd is not reaching the Saturday night crowd in our city, as a general rule. So that's, that's something that I've been wrestling with. And so um, th- I, I'm just going to be talking about fruitfulness and making disciples. And this is going to be a very personal talk for me. Things that I'm wrestling with. Um, questions that I have. Maybe some, some, some answers that I've begun to receive from the Master about this. It's a, it's a paradigm shift for me. Um, it's, so this is, this is important to me because like, this is my mission. To make disciples for Yeshua. With some of his last words before he lifted off from planet earth. Um... It's also important to me because when Yeshua comes back, He's going to evaluate me on what I, what I did with the resources and the capabilities and the time that He gave me. And quite frankly, that kind of scares me sometimes. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I, I'm very secure in my Father's love for me. And I, I'm, I'm very thankful for justification by faith. So this isn't about my salvation necessarily, or about my right standing with the Father or His love for me. It's just about the fact that He's also going to grade me when He comes back. And I really want Him to be like so happy and be like, good job, you know, good job servant, you've done great with what I've entrusted to you. You've really used it well. So this is, this is important to me. It's also important to me because you is so worthy. And, like, he died so that the people in the city could come to him and become disciples of his. Like, I, I, I ask him a lot, what is your dream for our city? You know, I'll, 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 be, I'll be sitting there on Saturday night and just watching people. And i would be like, Yeshua, what's your dream for that person? And I, I, I do believe it's his dream that those people come to know him and come to love him and come to follow him. Like, he looked at the young man and he felt a love for him and he said, You know what? Just sell everything you have. Just liquidate your assets and give it all away and just come, come with me. I want you to spend, I want you to be really close to me. Like, I think that's his dream. And I, I want to see that dream come true in our city. So, this is a, an important talk to, for me in that regard. This is something of a milestone talk for me. And, you know, I, maybe it'll even be something of a watershed talk for our community. I don't have a lot of answers. I have more questions. But I do have some things that I feel like the Father's begun to speak to me. And uh, hopefully this talk will just kind of raise some questions and open some conversation for us that will be an an ongoing topic. Um, This is important to me too because, man, Yeshua did did emphasize results, hey? Like the whole concept of fruitfulness in Hebrew, producing fruit. Uh, If you wanted to translate that over, let's say, to the business world, you would talk about results or about the bottom line or about, like, ultimate productivity. That's the idea there. That's what fruitfulness means. Um, this is, so here, here's a little story from the Master in the book of Luke, chapter 13. Uh, he says, A man had a fig tree, which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and didn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Look, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? I mean, he's a good businessman, right? It's like, I have this space in my vineyard, and this tree, I've been investing in it, and it's yielding nothing in return. So let's just remove the thing, and we'll start over again. Now that's kind of terrifying, that Yeshua would refer to believers in that way, that the Father comes to us and says, you know, how is this person doing with what I've given them? How, what's their level of productivity for my kingdom? It's like, Wow. And at the same time, we know that He loves us and we know that we have a security in our relationship with Him, right? So again, it's, it's, that story, I believe, isn't about, about that. So I want to look at the concept of fruitfulness. I mentioned, if you were to translate that, let's say, to the, to the, the corporate world, what that concept would be, fruitfulness means like producti- productivity and results, the bottom line, that kind of thing. In English, the term fruit, here, I'll give you a couple words and just tell me what kind of images come to mind. Um, if you say that person is a fruit, what kind of images come to mind? Kind of different, weird, eclectic. Eclectic—that's <laughs> a very kind word. <laughs> or what if you say someone is a fruit cake? Same thing, right? <laughs> Nuts, <laughs> crazy, yeah, that kind of thing. Or what if you what if you say that someone is fruity or something like that? That would has a slightly better connotation. Maybe it just means someone's kind of fresh and. I don't know, really likes bright pastels or something, I don't know. But you, you can hear how, like, in the English language, I don't think we really connect very well with the concept of fruitfulness. Because we, we even in Saskatchewan, we're not primarily an agrarian society. You know, it's just, we don't use agricultural terms as much, eh? Um, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll, give you, I'll give you a Hebrew word that comes from the Hebrew word for fruitfulness that hopefully will kind of get us thinking more like a Hebrew in terms of this. Uh, the Hebrew word for like to bear fruit is para. Everybody say para. You know when we bless for the fruit of the vine, we say pre right? The fruit of the vine. That's a, that's a word that derivates from that. The Hebrew word for a three-year-old bull is par. Everybody say par. So, a, a three-year-old bull is a picture in the Hebrew mind of fruitfulness. A three, three-year-old bull is like the icon of fruitfulness in the Hebrew language. Now, how many of you have ever been driving in the country and you saw like a massive hulking bull? Mm-hmm. Man! I've, I've had times when I've seen a bull and I'm like, Wow! That, like that guy is huge! And he's like, like, have you ever seen a bull's muscles just ripple? Like they look so solid! And I mean, like, all it takes is one bull to produce how many calves in the course of a year, right? They don't generally put a lot of bulls in a herd. So the, the, the bull, in the Hebrew mindset, is the icon of fruitfulness. And I kind of like that. So to the Hebrew mindset, fruitfulness is something powerful. It is uh, something prolific. And uh, it's something really solid. Massive. Muscular. Those, those kinds of thoughts. So, you know, when you read about fruitfulness in the Word, even being fruitful for the kingdom, kind of think of that. I, for me, anyway, that kind of revolutionized my, my concept of it. So, you know, in the Torah, when the Creator of the universe would come to someone and He would bless them to be fruitful, on a physical level, that meant, I bless you to have a lot of babies, and your babies are going to grow up and have a lot of babies, and their babies are going to grow up and have a lot of babies, right? So, fruitfulness means having children, grandchildren, etc. That's physical fruitfulness. Spiritual fruitfulness is kind of similar. It's, uh, there are two sides to it. There's the side of your character that exudes from you so when the spirit is alive and well in you and flowing through you you're going to exude the character qualities of Mashiach, you'll be a loving person gentle joyous, you'll be in shalom, all of those things that's generally what we think of when we think of spiritual fruit but the flip side of the equation, the other half of it is spiritual fruitfulness equals making baby disciples just like physical fruitness means making babies spiritual fruitfulness equals making baby disciples And this is something I've only begun to really contemplate lately. There are several examples of this in the writings of Yeshua's apostles. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, Shaul, or Paul, called Timothy, quote, his dear and faithful son in the Master. He called Titus his, quote, true son in our shared faith. He called Onesimus, quote, my son Onesimus whom I've begotten in my imprisonment. Uh, Simon Peter, Simon Kaifa, he called Mark, quote, my son, Mark. It wasn't his physical son. These guys were on to something here. I'll give you one more example. Uh, Yeshua's emissary, Saul, in writing a letter to an early Yeshua community in the city of Corinth, big Greek metropolis said this in 1st Corinthians 414 to 15 I don't write these things to shame you but to admonish you as my beloved children for even if you were to have countless teachers in Mashiach yeah, you wouldn't have many fathers for in Mashiach Yeshua I became your father through the gospel so you can hear this idea in the writings of Yeshua's apostles. When they would come into a city and they would preach the gospel and people would come to faith in the one true God as a result. Uh, when they had communities formed and they taught these new believers the ways of the Father and um, helped them to grow in their faith, they saw those people as their spiritual children. They probably saw themselves as being spiritually fruitful. I think that's, that's, that's a really neat concept and that's something that I'm just beginning to grow in. So, we can see from these examples that spiritual fruitfulness equals making disciples for Yeshua. It's like um, reproducing ourselves as His followers. So, like, as I mentioned, um, this is an area I'm really weak in. Like, I... I'm a scholar, I'm more of a teacher type, so I love reading history. I love, I love, you know, preparing talks on a certain level. I like techie stuff too, you know, so I like, I really enjoy doing stuff with our website and iTunes and YouTube and like practical means of getting the message out. So when it comes to, let's say, building friendships with unbelievers or sharing my faith with somebody, Or, you know, discipling like one-on-one, that's not a strength of mine. It really isn't. And I'm very cognizant of that, eh? But that's an area where I really feel Abba's challenging me right now. And he's giving me some practical stuff. So, this is, you know, this is a personal talk for me. But, you know, I can see how on a broader level in the Messianic movement, uh, there's some some distinct parallels there too. So, I'm just going to talk really practically about um, eight or nine areas where I can see that I can grow in some very practical ways and uh, maybe that we in the broader Messianic community can grow also and I'm gonna base most of these on the story of Isaac and Rebecca from this parasha Yitzchak and Rivka is the other Hebrew names? so that's what we'll call them Ayitzhak and Rivka they got married Isaac was 40 when they got married and they didn't have a baby for 20 years for two solid decades and then finally they had twins, just to make up for it, I guess. And those boys were a handful. So um, there, there was this 20-year, maybe it was something of a crisis period for them, where they said, we are not having children, what's wrong? And, uh, and then finally they did. So we're going to look at some, some, some themes about fruitfulness connected with this Parsha, and then also with Matthew chapter 13 and the different soils. Uh, the first thing we see with Yitzhak and Rivka is that they were honest. They reached a point where they said, you know what? for whatever reasons we can't have children this isn't happening so they were honest Uh, for me my challenge is to be honest and be like I don't know if I've ever brought someone explicitly to faith in Yeshua I've never had the joy of immersing someone in the master's name and quite frankly in that area of my life I'm very unfruitful you know I think for us as even as families and as community it begins with being honest and assessing ourselves sometimes you know, in the light of Yeshua and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and uh, that kind of thing, uh, we also see that Yitzhak and Rivka—they really wanted to be fruitful. They had a desire to have children. And I think that's generally where it starts. Also, it generally starts with desire. When you want something, love will find a way, and it will happen. Um, that's a big thing that I've been questioning too. You know, what sometimes, like, I can look at years of my life where I just didn't care. Like, seriously, it was not a desire of mine to. To, to immerse people in Yeshua's name because they came to faith. It, was no, it wasn't a dream of mine to disciple people. That that desire has been birthed in me recently and it's growing. And quite frankly, you know, let's say going out around Prince Albert Saturday night and just watching people who are totally lost has really cultivated my desire to see those, those people come to Yeshua. Because then it's not just some... It's not just some abstract concept. People coming to Yeshua, it's like that person, and that person, and that person. That person at the slot machine. I want that person to know my father. You know, that person at the bar, like, dancing their heart out. That's so, like, not, like, so disoriented. I want that person to become a disciple of Yeshua. And so, you know, there are are steps that we can take. There are practical things we can do to see that desire birthed in us and and grow in us. So, um, we could sum up that first concept by saying that, desire precedes disciple making so how, how what can we draw to symbolize desire i don't have any ideas what i'm going to draw for these so you're going to have to tell me it'll be kind of fun desire comes from your heart and nice. eyes okay somebody reaching for something someone reaching for something okay hey that's good so we'll draw we'll draw a person ooh this is a nice marker with a really big heart um oh. Sorry, I didn't draw much of a body here. I'm here, I'll draw a big body. There we are. The big heart. And watching. And uh, reaching. How's that? Okay, great. And, uh, oh, you know what? Well, Desire specifically, you know, care for other people. So I'll draw a couple anonymous people here also, just to, to represent that. Okay, there we go. Desire. Here's it. You are so into this talk now, aren't you? You get the marker out and she's into it. It's great. Okay. Um, Secondly, we can assume that Yitzhak and Rivka were doing their part to produce children. They were being intimate as husband and wife. And I mean, this is a no-brainer, right? Can you imagine a woman trying to have babies without her husband? It's just not going to happen. And, you know, we we talked about the phenomenon of parthenogenesis that occurs in certain animals, but that doesn't happen in human beings. It's just not going to happen. So, number two thing we can learn is being in close contact with the Master, correlatively, just like a husband and wife have to be in pretty close contact with each other to have a baby. When we are in close contact with the Master, when we're growing in our intimacy with Him, spiritual fruitfulness will be the result. New disciples will happen. I was, I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis this last week in his book Mere Christianity and he talked about just how bizarre it is like really you know something happens and then nine months later a baby happens and sometimes when you try and explain that process to a child or someone for the first time it's like no you're kidding me that's so crazy you know but it's true and it's true spiritually also when we come close to Yeshua when we grow in our rapport with Him spiritual babies happen it's a it's a it's a cause and effect that is guaranteed yes this is number two Yeshua had a word just something to say about that in the gospel of Yochanon. 15 5 he said I'm the vine you're the branches now you probably have noticed that branches are connected quite closely to a vine aren't they there's like an inseparable union between the two and it's an organic union he goes on to say he who abides in me and I in him he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing So, did you notice that? As we're staying in him, as he's staying in us, fruitfulness is just going to happen. Because we can't really do anything for the kingdom apart from him. Um, So I think we we could sum that up by saying, rapport precedes reproductivity. Rapport precedes reproductivity. Or you could also say that relationship precedes reproductivity. How could we picture that one? Maybe just, uh, we'll just draw two people standing really close together. How about that? holding hands there you go here we'll uh... we'll make this king Yeshua there, and uh... this can be his bride she's a big bride because uh... there are a lot of people in Yeshua's kingdom there we are so, um... thirdly in the story of Yitzchak and Rivka they reached a point where they they were honest and they said we're not having children for some reason and they had a desire to have children and they were doing everything on their part on a natural level that they could do to have children and it says that they went on Yitzhak specifically went on to do something that would be out of the ordinary for your average guy he prayed for his wife and the Hebrew word is it's um it's translated entreated. I want to break down that word for you because it's a very rare word, actually, in the Tanakh. Um, the Hebrew says, va ye So the root there for that word for entreating is atar. And it's, I think it only comes up in two other places in the Tanakh. In one of those places, it's in the book of the prophet Zechariah, I think, and it, it, it means an abundance. It's something in that context like an abundance of peace and truth, I think. So that word has to do with abundance. The other place it comes up is in the book of Ezekiel, with a thick cloud of incense smoke rising. And it's the word for like a thick cloud. So you, have, you get the idea behind this word for entreating, it's uh, pictured by a, like a cloud of smoke going up. A dense, thick cloud of smoke. So something that's thick, concentrated, intense, profuse, abundant. That's the kind of prayer that it says Yitzhak was offering on behalf of his wife Rivka for their fruitfulness. There are two related words in Hebrew to this verb atar that give us an even bigger picture of the type of prayer that Yitzhak was engaging in. Uh, there's the cognate chatar which is connected to atar and it means to penetrate to go through something so the concept is prayer that breaks through or penetrates, penetrates through to the goal there's also a cognate atar um, that's spelled with an ayin whereas this word for, uh, for entreating is spelled with an olive, and it means to surround so there's this cognate verb that is spelled with an ein and it means to surround. And it's actually the Hebrew verb that gives us the Hebrew word for a crown. A crown in Hebrew is an atarah because it surrounds your head. Our community's name in Hebrew is a Mashiach, crown of Messiah. So, like, our community's name comes from this verb to surround, in the sense of a crown. Why? Because we gather around Yeshua. Because we are all about Mashiach the King, is the idea there. So again, this concept of praying is like to surround him with prayer. You could, you could even say like when we gather as a community and we pray, it's like we're gathering around the Master and we're surrounding him with our prayers and with our affections and adoration. So this is the kind of prayer that Yitzchak was, uh, was praying for his wife. And it's notable here on 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 a practical level that like he took a responsibility for his family's situation and he prayed for his wife. So he didn't look at Rebecca and be like, Well it's your problem, Rebecca. You must be doing something wrong. He 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 engaged, he stepped in and he said, This is our situation and he prayed intensely. He prayed profusely. He prayed the kind of prayers that go through stuff for his wife. Um, often, if someone is in a church and they're like, you know what, this church isn't doing very well, we're not really reaching our community, our first response is to point to the pastor and be like, he's going to have to change something. This is the pastor's fault. Or we look at the programs in the church and we say, you know, we're going to have to do, do something different with the programs. It's the program's fault. That's generally people's first response. But what we learn from Isaac is, when, we see, when we're in a community and we see that we're just not, let's say, making disciples the way we would like to, our first response is just to pray. What did, what did Yaakov, the brother of Yeshua, say? You have not because you ask not. So if, if, there's, if something isn't happening, if we're deficient in some area... <laughs> actually, I love this because it's so simple. Really, I mean, it's nice when you can diagnose a situation with much ease. It's like, okay, if we're deficient, it's because we haven't asked him. So, easy solution, start asking, right? So, and actually, Yeshua had something to say about that also in Yochanan chapter fifteen, verses seven to eight. He says, "If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, there's that same idea again. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples." Did you hear that? Like all of those ideas are like jammed into that one little little phrase of His. You know, being fruitful, making disciples. And where does it start? Abiding in Him, Him and us, and His words abiding in us, and asking. So there's that key ingredient, asking, eh? So I think um, we, could, we could sum that up by saying that prayer precedes productivity. How could we picture prayer here? Hmm. How about like this, maybe? Because the Hebrew word for praying is to, to uh, spread out your hands. Oh boy. Spreading out hands. This is going to be cool. Okay, let's see. um, We'll draw a person looking up. There. And then um, hands spread out. We'll even draw some little stick fingers. Okay, there. Prayer. So, prayer precedes... Productivity and you know, I I would like to I would like to do something in our community I would like to start praying regularly, you know in your own prayer times and also when we gather on Shabbat Let's begin praying that the Father will give us babies spiritual babies So we can change their diapers and we can take care of them and we can see them grow up in the image of Elohim I want to start praying that regularly Father give us people to disciple You know, That's a very practical application. What do you think can we start? Let's just get in the groove of just asking that every week like sincerely so that would be a practical application from that. Uh, fifthly, Rivka was in for a shocker. When she finally did get pregnant, it was not what she thought it would be. Like, her expectations, she had a certain set of expectations and it was not happening. Like, there was like a civil war going on in her uterus. And it says that she actually, um, she, went to, she went to Yahweh and she asked Him what was happening. And He gave her an answer, you, you're having twins. And uh, there's like this big prophetic thing playing out in your tummy right now. And it's only going to get more intense as the days go on. I'm totally paraphrasing, right? But that was the idea. So when it comes to planning for fruitfulness, when it comes to being psychologically geared up to see new disciples come in, it's really important to drop our expectations and uh, be ready for the unexpected, be ready for things that will be uncomfortable, that will be totally out of the box. And... uh, that will not be what we thought it would be like. Um, I think especially outside the religious box. Uh, if you want to look historically at moves of God, when, when Yeshua would act and restore uh, whatever doctrine or practice to his people that was lost, it was never what people thought it would be. It was outside the religious box, because Yeshua is outside the religious box. So let's just be ready to do things radically different. In the future, if he ever gives us that directive, it uh, reminds me of that discussion we had. I think it was last Shabbat for Oneg when we talked about wine skins and how Yeshua compared his disciples. They were they were kind of out of the box. Like they kind of offended some religious guys. They were they they, they were a bit rough around the edges. Hey, I mean like rough and tough fishermen, farmers. One of them was one of them was like a, was like a military insurgent, like the Zealots. He carried a blade and. Um, he probably had some background in assassinations okay so like Yeshua's guys some of them were like just some of them were tough dudes some of them had a dangerous background and these were his guys and they didn't even wash their hands before they eat so they weren't even like really passionate about religious tradition here okay and um, I mean like they were offending the Pharisees they were offending John's disciples and Yeshua told a parable and he said if you have new wine you need a fresh set of wineskins for that new wine What's what's the concept behind fresh wineskins? Fresh wineskins are, are flexible, they're stretchy, they're supple, they're pliable, so that when the fermentation pra- process happens, they can kind of move with it, they can expand, right? And that's the I think that's gonna be a really critical thing for us as we prepare for an influx of new disciples. Just be ready to be flexible. Be ready to kind of move with the thing and, and expand as you need to. It's gonna be it might be kind of like effervescence or the fermentation process. It's Sometimes a little crazy, eh? But uh, gotta be ready for that. And I guess Rivka had to be ready on a very practical level to expand also with twins, hey? Never thought about that, but she was probably doing some real expanding. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you one idea about that. Um, this is something I was thinking about. When we look at Yeshua's technique, okay, often today, numbers are really important. In the Western world, numbers, right? Uh, often when someone hears that I'm a pastor, well, the first thing they'll ask is, well, how, how, big, is your, how big is your congregation? And i will say, oh, 4,000 or 5,000 square feet. <laughs> you go, ah, the building we meet in. <laughs> just, to, just to throw them, right? But, but that's, that's a big thing for us. But when we look at Yeshua, He was not actually about numbers. I mean, crowds flocked to Him crowds flocked to Yochanan also but Yeshua was, I, I, I think Yeshua was more into quality than quantity so he gathered, I mean you'd think that, like Yeshua the son of God, he could have like had a pretty big inner circle, you'd think but he only gathered twelve guys around himself and they, they were the ones he really poured into and this was Yeshua himself we're talking about, eh? so as we prepare, let's say, to maybe do some discipling with some new believers that we come in contact with don't necessarily think in terms of quantity Think in terms of quality. So if you meet someone who's a new believer or you have someone who comes to faith in Yeshua as a result of, of, of your relationship with Him, that's great. Focus on that one person. You don't have to go for the numbers. Go for quality, right? And uh, that's, that's something I think that we can do that's out of the box. I mean, even at Shavuot, there are only 120 people at Shavuot that Yeshua empowered with His Ruach HaKodesh. And I mean, it went, it went wild pretty fast after that. A lot of people came in. But really, 120, that's not a lot of people. Considering this was like however many years ministry of Yeshua himself, only 120 people at the end. That's out of the box. That doesn't fit the Western paradigm. So, I'm ready for whatever he wants to bring. I think we could um I think we could sum that that up this this um fourth one by saying flexibility precedes fruitfulness. Don't you like how I'm like using letters that the words that begin with the same letter? I was reading the Puritans were really into that. So, I. Uh, Actually I I I did this before I read that, but anyway. So how, how can we draw how can we draw something for flexibility? Elastic band. elastic band, okay. Let's draw an elastic band. We'll draw a stretchy elastic band. How about that? Here's um here's um a person holding an elastic band. And we're gonna stretch the elastic band all the way out to there. And there's someone holding the other end. Um, that's supposed to be a hand. So we're just going to leave that in suspense and hope the person doesn't let go. Ah, 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 one more thing for flexibility. Let's draw Rivka when she was pregnant. Let's see. There's her tummy. There we are. Hi, Teresa. How are you, my baby? Do you like my drawing? Good. Okay. Um, fifthly, this is another word from Yeshua about fruitfulness in Yochanan chapter 15. He said, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. It's kind of interesting when you hit like even a threshold level of productivity for the kingdom, he steps in and he says, okay, let's up your threshold. Let's, uh, let's put you to the next level of fruitfulness by pruning you. So, you know, Yeshua is doing that in our lives and he will continue to do that. I have, well, when I met Genevieve, I was working in Israel pruning vines. That's what I did all day for like 60 hours a week or something. Got a little set of shears and you go clip, 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 all the way down the line and uh, basically the concept is vines will overproduce they'll, they'll send out so many shoots and so much foliage that it saps all the energy and you don't get a lot of grapes so you need to chop off most of the branches and just leave a couple branches like a couple shoots on each branch so that all the energy behind that vine is poured into those grapes and it produces phenomenal grapes, lots of them and, uh, and sizable ones also, that's the idea so Yeshua is going to be showing us and he has been too um, ways that we can cut excess garbage out of our lives time wasters we only have so many hours in the day right and um, a good question to stop and ask ourselves occasionally is what am I doing with my time to make disciples and what am I doing with my time that I don't need to do that I could be investing in making disciples or doing something towards that end Um, if you know some of us, I know some of us have high demands on our time, and, and they're things that the Father given us to do. So I'm not talking about that, right? But um, there are times when we just say, you know what, I have no time left in my day. I'm too busy. And there may be times when Yeshua will show us areas where we can restructure our lives to have some time to um, to reach out in the ways that He has us to do. One other thought about that is um, we're like a team, right? Even in our, let's all use our community as an example. We're a team. We're a body. So everyone isn't going to be doing the same thing right so you know when each of us engage and we serve in the ways that he's given us to do it's gonna be it's gonna be powerful so some people are gonna be more on the front lines some people are gonna be let's say using the internet as a vehicle some people are gonna be just coming here let's say on Shabbat and helping set up and just keeping this thing going and all of those things are equally necessary so um, as believers we will have a tendency to stay in our comfort zone too just hang out with people like us, people that we're comfortable with, other believers that don't challenge us, right? Um, there may be a time to say, Father, do you want to prune me in this area and get me to kind of step out and begin spending time with people that I'm not so comfortable with? Do you, do you want to maybe give me some time to do that, Abba? Those kinds of questions. So, fifthly, we could say pruning precedes productivity. What, how, how could we draw pruning here? That one's pretty easy, I guess. Just like... Uh, Let's draw a vine here, okay that's, that's the line, see this, I'll, I'll show you actually how vines work, let's say this is the ground here, here's the rocky ground in Israel, and um, then you have stakes like this, and you have um, a wire running through the stakes, and then you have the vines growing up onto the wire, like yay, and then see what they want to do is they want to send up like shoot, 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 like tons of shoots. And so you come along and you chop most of those off. I'll just use my thumb to chop some of them off. There, there you go. Right. So that's the idea there. And um, we'll draw a nice big set of clippers here too. Um, Little ergonomic handle. There we go. So pruning, pruning precedes productivity. (laughs) Okay. Um. i going to share a couple that aren't explicitly mentioned in this parasha, but they're, they're gooders. Something I learned a couple of years ago was that we teach what we know, but we, reprodu- we reproduce what we are. I mean, on a human level, you know, we produce other humans, but I think on a spiritual level too, um, we re- reproduce what we are. So, a big question to ask is, like, am I the kind of disciple that I would want to reproduce? (laughs) What kind of disciple would I want to reproduce? It's the whole concept of starting with yourself, eh? And, uh, of course, that's that's where it starts. And then becoming the kind of disciple that you would want to reproduce. Honestly, this is a big one for me. Like, I was just sitting down yesterday and preparing this talk, and Yeshua was, like, kind of... He was giving me a big talk to about these things. And I'm going to be doing a lot of thinking this week, because I'm going to be asking myself, like... What kind of disciple would I want to reproduce? Would I want to see a bunch of mees running around for Yeshua? Really? I mean, that's kind of scary in some areas. So this is, this is a big question. So, you know, a big question just to ask ourselves is like, am I following Yeshua? Am I doing the stuff that he said? How is my observance of the Torah? Would I want to reproduce a bunch of me's? Um, another big thing is not just to assume that we know what a disciple really looks like. I, I think, you know, discipleship is something of a, something of a, a trend right now in the body of Messiah uh, a lot of congregations reached a point where they said you know what we're having a lot of people that profess faith maybe they sign a card or they stand up or they come to the altar and nothing happens after that and maybe they never come back to uh, to whatever church to to church or whatever and um, you know it's been a big realization in the body of Messiah we need to disciple people And so you know for a lot of people discipleship basically means maybe doing a weekly bible study with new believers going out for coffee that kind of thing helping them grow in their christian life and you know what that's that's part of it for sure but i think that's actually uh that's kind of like a homegrown idea of discipleship that isn't necessarily rooted in the original understanding of discipleship that yeshua and his disciples had you have to remember these were jewish guys there were a lot of rabbis calling men to themselves and discipling them and so we can't really even understand the job description of a disciple or what it means to be called as a disciple or what it means to make other disciples unless we study that we study that um framework in the jewish world and uh, most of us have done Hayasod Hayasod does a great job of explaining what a disciple is to the jewish mindset I really I really appreciate that. So I, I recommend First Fruits of Zion's Highest Sword Course just for their talks on discipleship there. Um, making disciples is actually, it's something that's like built into the DNA of Jewish people and uh, the Jewish worldview. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples here. This is my my trusty siddur. If you can see the pages, they're pretty, uh, they have lots of, um, you know, stuff from my hands because I've... I've spent a lot of time with this thing, but um, anyway, in, uh, there, there's, there's a book contained in the Siddur called Pirkei Avot, it means like the, the sayings of the fathers, and basically you had sages from when the second temple was built and the Jewish era began, until when the, when the temple was destroyed, you're talking three or four hundred years, and uh, if you can imagine like a sage, and if you wanted to get one or two of his like highlight quotes, the things that he was most famous for saying, that's what Pirke Avot is. and. Uh, This is Pirkei Avot, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Moses received the Torah from Sinai and transmitted it to Joshua. Joshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets. And the prophets transmitted it to the men of the great assembly. They said three things. Okay, the men of the great assembly were the guys in the beginning of the second temple era. Some of the men in the great assembly were like the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And then the early Torah teachers like Ezra would have been another one of them. They were really the founders of, of what we would know today as J- Judaism. They composed some of the original prayer, traditional Jewish prayers that you would see in the Siddur. And they said three things. Be deliberate in judgment. Develop many disciples. And make offense for the Torah. That was what they were famous for saying. Did you notice the second one? Develop many disciples. The Hebrew, the Hebrew that for that is ha, ha'amidu tolmidim. Harbay. So in the beginning of the Jewish era, it was something that was going around very strongly. Make a lot of disciples for the Torah. Teach a lot of people the Torah. Bring people to the Torah. And uh, you even think about Yeshua's generation. One of the things he said to the Pharisees is, you would travel over land and sea just to make one proselyte. Like you would buy you would buy a plane ticket halfway around the world just to see one people become a disciple. And then of course, you know, he finished by saying, and then you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself, which is sad. But you see that in, in, the, Jewish, in the Jewish DNA, there is a passion for making disciples. And that passion has been stifled uh, in, in the years of the exile, in the last couple of thousand years. But it was there, and it is still there. Uh, we, here's... here's oh, Pirkei Avot 1-1. Yep. that's in Matthew chapter 23 24 right around there where Yeshua talked about you know the the passion that the pharisaical movement had for instance to make disciples them. here is some interesting commentary on a very puzzling verse also in Genesis chapter 12 verse 5 it says that Abram took Sarai his wife and the souls that they had made in Haran and the New American Standard translates that word made as acquired but it actually says the souls that they had made. It's kind of puzzling. So here's some commentary from the Midrash Rabbah. This is ancient Jewish commentary, a couple millennia old, on that passage. It says, a Rabbi Lazer observed in the name of Rabbi Yose Ben-Zimra. If all the nations assembled to create one insect, they couldn't endow it with life. Yet you say, and the souls they had made. It refers, however, to the proselytes they had made then let it, and then another guy says, then let it say that they had converted why, that they had made that's to teach you that he who brings a gentile near that is to say, you know, like brings a gentile near to God is as though he created him now let it say that he had made why, that they had made said Rabbi Elunia, Abraham converted the men and Sarah the women so did you hear them break that down? why does it say that they made? because when you bring Someone from the nations near to God It's as though you had begotten that person They become your spiritual child, in a sense Why does it say they had made instead of he had made? Because another rabbi chimes in Abraham and Sarah were both engaged in the work of bringing people um, under the wings of the Shekhinah as, as Rashi comments on that passage So, like, Avraham and Sarah You could see they're the, mothers, the, the father and mother of our movement they were disciple makers they were like, they were bringing people under the wings of the Shekhinah the, the, and uh, that's, that's something that's built into us also uh, one other thing I could say about discipleship is uh, often today the pop understanding of discipleship has nothing to do with Torah and that's unfortunate Because Yeshua, our example, modeled a Torah lifestyle for us. He said, you know, great people in the kingdom are the people who do the mitzvot, even the least of the mitzvot in the Torah. They teach others to do the same. Uh, Yeshua went on to say something really scary. Um, He used this Hebrew idiom to make someone stumble. That's a Hebrew idiom. It means to cause someone to violate the Torah. So to cause them to do something that God said in the Torah not to do, or to cause someone to stop doing something, or to never do something in the Torah that God said to do. That's causing someone to stumble. Yeshua said like, it would be better for you if somebody went and tied a concrete block around your neck and threw you off the bridge than that that should happen. That you would cause a little one, a new believer, to stumble, to violate Torah. It's the best way to make yourself the least in the kingdom. And uh, fr- frankly, I find that kind of terrifying. Because you know, in the body of Messiah, we're, we're doing a good job of bringing people to faith and getting them going with the basics of salvation and justification by faith. And and, and that's great. But I, I fear that when it comes to the concept of teaching people to do God's mitzvot, I, I think we get a pretty low grading for that one still. And uh, that's something that Yeshua is still restoring in the body of Messiah. So that whole idea is basically like, focus on your observance to the Torah. Because... If the Father sends you someone to disciple, if you are being sloppy in your observance, you might transmit to that person. You might reproduce what you are. You might cause that person to stumble. That's a horrifying prospect. So I think what we, could, we could sum up that whole concept by saying that personal discipleship precedes productivity. How could we, how could, what could we draw to, to um, be a picture of like, personal discipleship? How about someone following Yeshua? That would be cool, eh? So here's... I'll draw a picture of the Master... walking along and uh, draw someone following him there and watching him really closely there okay that's personal personal discipleship um, We also, um, there's this passage in Isaiah chapter 54. And I'll, I'll read it to you. You can read along if you want. It's Isaiah chapter 54 verses 1 to 3. It says this, Shout for joy, barren one. You have born new child. No child break forth into joyful shouting. Cry aloud, you have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman says Yahweh. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess nations. So it's like this poetic call from the prophet. He says rejoice because you are going to have a ton of kids. So put an addition on the house. A big addition. Get ready is the idea there. As a spiritual principle that Isaiah 53 precedes Isaiah 54. So Isaiah 54 is about get ready for a great influx of people. What is Isaiah 53 about? It's the gospel of Yeshua suffering on our behalf, dying for us, paying the price. That's a, a that's that's a very key principle I think with the whole idea of productivity. I mean Isaiah 53:10 specifically it says Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of Yahweh will prosper in His hand. So did you get that? Yeshua, He he submitted Himself to being crushed on our behalf. He took our grief. He became the guilt offering. And what was the result? The Father says, I will give you offspring. I will give you spiritual sons and daughters. I will prolong your days. Yeah, chaye olam, like eternal life for the Son. That's pretty good. And my good pleasure will prosper in your hand. You can hear the Father saying that to the Son. So, what we see there is like, Disciples coming to Yeshua—that's a reward for his sufferings, and uh, it's the Father's good pleasure to give disciples to Yeshua. So on a practical level, Isaiah fifty-three is where we're at. As we stay strong in the gospel, as we stay oriented around the New Covenant, as like we just stay really happy that He paid the price for us. I mean, these are the basics, right? But and it's so easy for me to forget them. But as we stay strong in that, yes. There is going to be an influx of new disciples. People are going to come because it's the Father's good pleasure to give disciples to Yeshua. And it's Yeshua's good pleasure to see people come to faith in His Father. Um, In Galatians chapter 4, I won't go into into too much detail with this one, but um, Shaul quotes this passage from Isaiah 54. And uh, I'll just read it for you. Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 to 28. He says, It's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bond woman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bond woman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written. Rejoice, barren woman who doesn't bear. Break forth and show You who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate one than of the one who has a husband. And you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So did you hear that? Our primary orientation is not the covenant that God made with Israel when they emerged from Egypt. That is a valid covenant, and it serves its purposes. And he said, the sign, for instance, of that covenant, Shabbat, was forever. So I'm not denigrating that covenant. But Paul here is saying... You are children of Jerusalem above. That's your primary affiliation. There's a freedom to that in the New Covenant. So the, the warning I hear there is just don't get sucked into a world religion. Judea- we, we have much to learn from Judaism. I'm a Jewish person. I you know I practice much of Jewish tradition, but that isn't my primary orientation. Um, we could also, I think on a broader level, learn from that. Like just don't get sucked into humanistic systems that don't need God's power, that just rely on methods or physical techniques to grow. That's scary stuff. So I think we could we could sum up that concept by saying that the power of the Holy Spirit precedes productivity. How could we? How what could we draw for that one? Maybe just uh hmm the dove. How about the dove? We'll draw the dove. Um, I'm just gonna draw like a dove like this because there, like a bird. Because I don't know. If I tried to draw a dove, it would be really scary. And then, um, finally, uh, the, the last one is really simple. Yitzchak and Rivka, they just had to wait. They had to wait two solid decades. And they were praying. And they were doing the stuff that it was theirs to do. But they just had to wait. And they had to persevere. So that's a huge one, you know. Like, don't give up. Stay encouraged. And uh, press on. Because, like, your dream for the city to see people come to Yeshua, it will come to fruition. You know, as you, as you entreat the Father to give people in the city to the Son, it will happen. And uh, I'll give you a quick shot from Matthew 13 also. Those are some areas like where, you know, where, I, where I'm growing, it's the direction I'm moving in. The flip side of the equation is removing impediments that would keep us from making disciples. And Yeshua outlined a couple of those in Matthew 13. Uh, on the one hand, you have fruitfulness. On the, what's the opposite of fruitfulness in, in the Bible? Barrenness. barrenness, that's right So I'll give you the Hebrew word here for barren And we'll kind of break it down Because it applies on a spiritual level too um, The Hebrew word for barren is akara Everybody say akara And the root of it is the verb akar Everybody say akar And it literally means to be uprooted The concept of barrenness Or like, you know, not, not fruitfulness is to be uprooted so quite simply you know as we root ourselves in Yeshua and his teachings there will be spiritual fruit it's pretty simple it's fascinating though that in Matthew 13 when Yeshua talked about the seed that goes into the rocky soil it says that it, it only flourished for a short time and then it withered why because it had no roots it's that it's that idea um, this verb a car that's translated has the sense of barrenness also means to lame in the sense of hamstringing a horse or a cow by cutting its tendons so you know when, when they would hamstring let's say uh, chariot horses it was literally to quote make them barren that's the idea so it's, and it has the idea like you can't move freely you can't pull hard um, you can't you can't navigate swiftly you're, you're lame so quite simply the gospel is Yeshua comes to set us free to empower us and to make us swift for him Um, this concept of like this Hebrew word for for barren, akar it has a couple of cognates Um, hagar and hakar they mean to be isolated from social contact or alone estranged or alienated so unfruitfulness in the Hebrew language means to be isolated from social contact, to be alone to be estranged So you know what, that's, that's really true I think often if there's a community that isn't making a lot of disciples, it's just because that community is, is maybe withdrawn from the broader community. So you know, on a very simple level, for me personally, the father's challenging me, engage with your city. Make friends with people that aren't believers. Get out of your, get out of your isolated box. And uh, I'm, I'm taking steps to, to do that. Um, this, these words for you know, being alienated, uh, uh, isolated, etc. They're connected with words for anger and fear in Hebrew. So anger causes someone to be isolated. Fear causes someone to be isolated. I think that's really true also in the believing community. Often we kind of have a fear of people who aren't like us. Uh, what would be an example? Okay, I'll give you an example. Often in the evangelical com- community, there's like this unspoken fear of, let's say, people with a homosexual orientation. Most evangelicals have no friends who are gays or lesbians. It's, it's a fact. Why? Why? You know, that's, that's something that I'm thinking about here. Like, there are certain people that I've just... Like, if I were to see them, I'd be like, you know, that person's fine and I'd talk to that person, but I wouldn't really be friends with that person. Why? I think often, like, we see people who are different than us. We see people who don't believe like we do or don't believe anything. And we have this fear inside of us. And so we don't build friendships. But those are the people that we need to be reaching out to and building friendships with. So I I, I challenge you. Ask the Father, do I have fear in my life? Um, Another one is anger. Sometimes anger takes on very religious expressions. Let's say anger at unrighteousness. Someone will just be angry at unrighteousness. And then something will happen and that person will realize, I'm not actually angry at unrighteousness. I'm just an angry person and I have stuff I have to deal with. Sometimes that happens. When we have an anger, it can really isolate us from building relationships with people that will, that will bring them to uh, become disciples of Yeshua. And then um, the last cognate of this word for barren is achar, and it means to trouble. It's connected with Achan. What was Achan's main problem? He was materialistic. He was like, he saw the gold, he saw the gorgeous garment, and he wanted it, so he took it. He was a materialist. And uh, interestingly enough, that was one of the big things that Yeshua said makes the word of God in our lives unfruitful. In Matthew 13, he listed deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things, and pleasures. That's like, that's like materialism right there to a TA. So that's one more thing that you know can sometimes cause the word in our lives to be unfruitful and to block us up from being fruitful for him. So, yeah, th- th- these, are, so, you know, th- these are some things that I've been thinking through, praying through, um, changing and restructuring in my own life. I share them with you as part of the journey that I'm on. And maybe there'll be one or two things in this list that will be useful to you You also. If so, great. Thank you for joining us in this message. I pray that it's been an inspiration to you and your discipleship to Yeshua the Messiah. Quran Messiah is a relatively small congregation with a massive mission. We're not just making disciples and teaching the Word of God here in our city. We're also doing that internationally through vehicles such as the internet. It is our joy to offer you these messages for free at absolutely no charge. At the same time, we do have ongoing overhead expenses. It costs us something to produce these teachings and get them out to you. And we would appreciate it if you would, in turn, support our work in a practical way. Help us cover some of our basic expenses. You can do that by going to our website, crownofmessiah.com, and going to the donate page, where you can make a one-time donation, or you can set up a monthly automated donation. I'm reminded of... The words of Yeshua's Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. He said, Let the one who is taught the word share everything good with his teacher. So, if you're being taught the word by us, we would appreciate it if you would take the words of Yeshua's Apostle seriously and make some type of return for the blessing that we are giving you for free. That way, we'll all be in it together and we will be a team accomplishing the mission. That Yeshua has given us, and you will go from only being a receiver to also being a giver. If you're like most people, finances are tight. We understand that. Finances are tight for us too. That's why we need people like you to come alongside us and to back us in the work that Yeshua has called us to do. Thank you so much for making that donation at chronomessiah.com, and thank you for becoming a team member with us. We appreciate it.